Welcome to Bethesda Broadcast, the podcast of Bethesda Church in Huron, South Dakota. Worship His Majesty is the title of today's message from Pastor Roy, the senior pastor here at Bethesda. Psalm 8 says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. The glory and majesty of God are indescribable and will inevitably lead to worship. We encourage you to open up your Bibles to Psalm 8 today and worship with us as we look at the majesty of God. Um, Open your Bibles to Psalm 8 uh, as our praise team shared our text with us today. The title, Worship is Majesty. I will confess there are many times you step into the pulpit and feel inadequate. Uh, to be able to convey the truth of God's Word. This would be another Sunday that I feel inadequate to do so. Uh, When I think about the majesty of God and how great He is, how can we possibly put it into words and describe the majesty of God and how great He is? But I hope for a few moments as we talk about the majesty of God that you will take some time this week, set aside some specific time, to meditate on the majesty of God. He opens this psalm with, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So the first thing he really challenges us to do here is to celebrate the majesty of God. There's a celebration when we think about the greatness of God and who he is. What does this word majestic mean? Magnificent, illustrious, glorious, excellent, and worthy. I mean, these are incredible adjectives to describe God and who he is. And when we talk about his majesty today, I hope that we'll just be reminded of how great he is and how wonderful he is. We think about his size and his strength, his power and his authority. The root of this word carries the idea of that which is superior to something else. And when you think about that, God is the most superior being. There is no one more superior than him. You know, I was thinking about the fair this week and they had the strongman competition. I mean, who is going to go up against God and outmatch God? The strength of our God and how great he is. Here, David, the psalmist, recognizes the majesty of God, and he is caught in a sense of awe and wonder at how great God is. And in reverence, he beholds the greatness of God. Notice it goes on to say that his majesty is revealed in his name. Notice he says, How majestic is your name in all the earth. If I were to say the name McDonald's, some of you would turn your stomach. (laughs) You're like, because that's not really food. Others of you think of Big Mac, fries, and a vanilla shake, and lots of fat calories. Others of you, the idea is a cool wrap and a cheap cup of coffee. (laughs) Kids, it's the Happy Meal and the toy the kids fight over, right? I mean... But McDonald's, for every one of us, when we hear that word, it conjures up an image of of food and a particular food we are drawn to because we know we have a relationship with McDonald's. Now, if I was to say the word Texas in, 
Some of you would be like, I have no idea what you're talking about, Texas Inn, and, and you probably don't. And the only reason I know is because I lived in Lynchburg, Virginia for a while. In downtown Lynchburg, Virginia, there's a restaurant called the Texas Inn. And I use the word restaurant loosely <laughs> with Texas Inn. Because if you know anything about the Texas Inn, it's not a place you go for atmosphere. But the Texas Inn to a Lynchburger, they would say that is the best place to get a cheesy Western in town. And I think I can, I only remember one time going to the Texas Inn and I was with a guy in a pickup truck and he had a pistol on the seat. Okay? So yeah, it's just not the kind of place you want to run to. But what does it do? It conjures up images in my mind. Why? Because of the name. Are you with me? And when I think about God, and we're going to review some of the names of God, it conjures up images of his majesty and his greatness, his holiness, his splendor, his sovereignty, his power, his authority, because of the name of God. Doesn't the Bible tell us how many knees are going to bow to his name? Every knee will bow at the name of Jesus, and every tongue confess and the Bible says that it is only through the name of Jesus that we can be saved. There is salvation in no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved other than the name of Jesus Christ. It's not Buddha. It's not Muhammad. Not any other God. It's the God of gods, the King of kings, the majestic God. And notice it says that his name is majestic where in all the earth and when I think about that we tend to think about the USA what about the Middle East what about Europe what about Israel where there's lots of Jews who are blind to the idea that Jesus is God what about North Korea where there are Christians in concentration camps what about Iraq and Syria where Christians have been displaced? God's name is majestic in all the earth. The whole earth reverberates the majesty of God. A couple other translations would say, People everywhere see how great you are. People praise you so greatly it reaches the heavens. In Jewish thought, the name reveals the nature and character of the person named. Moses was asking God what his name was in Exodus 3. Moses was not asking, what should I call you? Rather, he was saying, who are you? What are you like? That's what he was wanting to know. Here's a slide that comes up. Just has a few of the names of God. That's just a, just a small portion and we don't even have time to address all those. This is how great God's character is. He cannot be characterized by one, ten, or even twenty names. Uh, he is so great. And when we mention the name of God, it gives us the confidence in his strength and his aid. Let's look at some of the names, just a few of them. Elohim. Elohim expresses the high dignity or greatness of God. And actually, this word here is in the plural form, a Hebrew word. It's in the plural form, and it's in the plural, listen, of majesty or excellence. It expresses the dignity and the greatness of God, that he is the strong one, that he is sovereign. Strong one, 
God's sovereignty, ultimate authority. It means that God is self-governing. He doesn't need any other authority to govern him to tell him what to do. He is self-governing. He is the highest authority. No one else. He governs the universe. He governs the world. And so I think we need to be reminded of that when we pray to this God. He's not a little wimpy God. He is a strong, magnificent, sufficient God. If we really believe that, it would transform our prayer life. It would transform our worship if we understood the majesty and the power and the greatness of God. When we come before him, we wouldn't come before him flippantly. We'd say, oh God, you are worthy of my praise. You are worthy of my adoration. You are worthy of all the glory I could possibly give you. Don't let me strip you of your glory. And that should be the motivation of the Christian, that we want to glorify the majestic God for who he is. Supreme power, his creative work, it includes his justice and his rulership. Perfect justice, perfect rulership. And I know some people who are very angry with God because something happened in their life, and oh, God allowed it because if he's all-powerful and he allowed this, then I'm blaming God for that. And you want to know that sometimes the darkest thread in our life is the thing that God uses to bring him the greatest glory. The darkest thread, the most painful thread that you and I could have in our life, God wants to transform into his glory. That he is glorified in it. He's worthy of our worship. The next word is El Shaddai. El Shaddai is God Almighty. Some believe this focuses on God's supply and comfort. Psalm 23, the Lord is my what? Shepherd. He is the one who leads me. He is the one who guides me. He is the one who protects me and provides for me. He is my comfort. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He is my comfort. He is my shield. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because the majestic God is with me. And that's a wonderful thought. I'm not alone. I'm never alone. The God of the universe, the majestic God, is there for me. He supplies my needs. When I'm running short on patience, God can give me patience. When I'm running short on forgiveness and someone who has violated me, I can bring forgiveness because the God who supplies gives me the forgiveness in my heart. God meets our needs. He goes on. He talks about El Olam, the everlasting God. This reminds us that God is unchangeable and in exhaustible. The stock market changes. The price on cows, cattle, and crops rise and fall. Do they not? <laughs> they do. Lots of things change. The economy fluctuates. The value of the dollar changes constantly. But God does not change. Technology is constantly changing and increasing. In fact, they say that there are some 10 billion devices connected to the internet right now. 
some 10 billion devices, and they say in five years, there will be 50 billion devices connected worldwide. 50 billion. And we listen to those numbers and we just marvel. And that's nothing compared to God. Nothing compared to God. He's inexhaustible. When we need endurance and we become weary, God is inexhaustible. He can give strength to the weary, encouragement to the faint-hearted. He's the everlasting God. He never changes. When everybody else runs out on you, God does not run out on you and me. He's there for us. Moms, when you get tired and that little toddler just gets on your nerves, the last nerve that you have, God is there, the everlasting God. He's going to help get you a nap or something. Whatever it is you need, God is going to help supply that need. He's that kind of God. He goes on to talk about Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. In Genesis chapter 22, Abraham was given the call to take Isaac to Mount Moriah. He says, go there on the mountain and I will tell you what you need to do. And then he told him he needed to sacrifice Isaac on the, on the mountain there. And he gets Isaac down on the rock and he's ready to drive the knife into, plunge it into his chest. And he says, hold it, stop. Now I know that you fear God. And he sees a ram over in the thicket. And here's what Abraham says, the Lord will provide. That's the kind of God we have. It's the 11th hour and God provided. What a testimony. Oh, it wouldn't have been near as dramatic if they wouldn't have done the trip at all. And God would have provided and they would have never had to leave the comfort of their home. But you see, God sometimes wants to get us out of our comfort zone and into a tight spot where we have to trust him. And he provides and unleashes the gates of heaven. And we're just amazed at what he's done. That's our majestic God who wants to do that for every one of us. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace. This, actually, you could go back to Gideon in Judges chapter 6. When Gideon's praying to the Lord and the Midianites are attacking them, the Israelites, and they don't know what to do, and Gideon prays out to the Lord, and God gives him a great peace, and he says, the Lord is our peace. <laughs> when the enemy's coming in like a flood, God can still give us a peace that passes human understanding. And the Bible tells us in the New Testament that the peace of God, which passes human understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. God's peace is there for us. Next is Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. He's the God who heals. He is able to take the broken pieces of our life and bring healing. I think back of Chuck Colson. Many of you know that a few years ago, Chuck Colson went home to be with the Lord. But Chuck Colson was the right-hand man to the president he ended up, you know, getting in all kind of trouble and was put into prison. And in the prison and in the brokenness and in the dust of his life, his pieces of his life laying in shambles, he turns his life over to God, the majestic God. And God not only heals him, but uses him mightily in the kingdom of God. That's what God can do. He takes the brokenness of our lives and he brings healing that only he can bring. And if you've been through a brokenness in your life, or you're facing something broken, God can fix it, and he doesn't do it with duct tape or scotch tape. <laughs> he heals from the inside out. He heals completely. The word father 
that is used for God in the Old Testament is only used 15 times. But listen, but in the New Testament, God for Father is referred to 245 times. What does it show? God's loving provision, his care, and his discipline for us. Well, let's go on. His majesty is also reflected in his creation. Notice in verse 2. From the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. God chose to communicate his majesty. This blows my mind. He chose to communicate his majesty through weak instruments. Now, I'm thinking if I'm going to promote my glory and my greatness and my strength, I want to find the president. I want to find kings. What does God do? Infants and little kids. I mean, that doesn't make sense. Why would he do that? Because that's how he's praised through weak instruments. He chooses the weakness of people to promote his glory. And he confounded the scribes and the teachers of the law when they came to him. In Matthew 21, they were, they were listening. Here, here's what it says. Matthew 21, 16. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said, yes, these are children. Yes, have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies? Have you prepared praise? It was blowing them away. They're sitting there arguing. Listen to what these little kids are saying. And what did he do? He silenced the avengers. Those who were opposed to God, he silenced through little kids. That's the greatness and majesty of God. Only God can do that because he orders it from the inside out. And then I think about other weak instruments that God has used. When God determined to become a man, God in the flesh, he used a young teenage girl named Mary. A weak instrument. Nothing glamorous. Nothing glorious about her. He chose a weak instrument. He chose to be born in a stable and was placed in a feeding trough. Where is the majesty in that? That he rose up to be the King of kings and Lord of lords. From the lowest of lows. And he stooped for you and me. He chose to make his entrance in a tiny town called Bethlehem. One commentator wrote, God's majesty is evident in nature. The heavens have a purpose. The moon and the stars, he said, are silent witnesses for God. Look in verse 3. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place. This commentator says their size, their order, their steadfastness, their splendor, and their mystery, which grow and deepen as investigation is prosecuted and knowledge increases, all proclaim the greatness of God. I mean, the brightness of the stars reveal the brilliance of God. Here's what it says in 1 Timothy 6.16. Who alone, talking about God, has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Notice what it says, in unapproachable light. 
Remember when Saul became Paul? He was converted on the road to Damascus. The bright light knocked him off his animal. <laughs> it was so bright. The brightness and the majesty of God knocked him off his animal. Wouldn't it be wonderful if God just revealed his majesty in a greater way to Bethesda Church? I mean, in a greater way that it would transform our church into a greater worshiping congregation if God would do that. Let's look for a couple moments. The skyandtelescope.com says in 1999 there was a study done that there are 125 billion galaxies in our universe. Well, then they did a little more research, and in 2013 they said, no, there's 225 billion galaxies. I wonder what they're saying now. You see, there's no end to the greatness of our God. It's we get bigger telescopes and stronger things, and we can see more, and God just keeps unveiling his greatness and his majesty. Here's another one, universetoday.com. Astronomers estimate there are about 400 billion stars in the Milky Way galaxy alone. <laughs> That's a couple stars. And we take it for granted. We don't even hardly look at them. It measures 120,000 light years across. Spiral galaxies that contain more than a trillion stars and giant elliptical galaxies with a hundred trillion stars. I don't know how they count them. They must just get one little piece and multiply it. I mean, it's just like, God's like, get your calculator out again. Get your calculator out again and measure. Can we measure the greatness of God? John Piper wrote a, an article about rain. This comes out of his Godward Life book. He says, Is rain a great and unsearchable wonder wrought by God? Picture yourself as a farmer in the Near East, far from any lake or stream. There's a few wells there to keep your fam family and animals supplied with water. But he said, If the crops are to grow and the family is to be fed month to month, Water has to come from another source on the fields. From where? The sky. The sky? He said, water will come out of the clear blue sky? Well, not exactly. You see, water has to be carried in the sky from the Mediterranean Sea over several hundred miles and then be poured onto the fields from the sky. Carried? How much does it weigh? Well, if one inch of rain falls on one square mile of farmland during the night, that would be, I'm glad he put this down, 27,878,400 cubic feet of water, which is 206,300,160 gallons, which is 1,650,501,280 pounds of water. <laughs> That's heavy. So how does it get up in the sky and stay up there if it's that heavy? Well, it gets up there by evaporation. Really? That's a nice word. What does it mean? It means that the water stops being water for a while so it can go up and not down. I see. Then how does it get down? Well, condensation happens. What's that? The water 
starts becoming water again by gathering around little dust particles between 0.00001 and 0.0001 centimeters wide. That's small. What about the salt? Yes, the Mediterranean Sea is salt water. That would kill the crops. Well, the salt has to be taken out. Oh, so the sky picks up a billion pounds of water from the sea, takes out the salt, carries the water, or whatever it is when it is not water, for 300 miles, and then dumps it, now turned into water again on the farm. Well, it doesn't exactly dump it, because if it dumped a billion pounds of water on the farm, the wheat would be crushed. So the sky dribbles the billion pounds of water down in little drops. And they have to be big enough to fall for one mile or so without evaporating and small enough to keep from crushing the wheat stalks. How do all these microscopic specks of water that weigh a billion pounds get heavy enough to fall, if that's the way to ask the question? Well, it's called coalescence. What's that? It means the specks of water start bumping into each other and join up and get bigger, and when they are big enough, they fall just like that? Well, not exactly, because they would just bounce off each other instead of joining up if there was no electric field present. What? Never mind, he said, take my word for it. <laughs> he said, I'm going to take Job's word for it, as Job talks about the rain. That's the kind of God we serve, the majesty of God. And he is worthy of our majesty. Let's look at the last one here. His majesty results in humility in man. Or at least it should. Notice down in verse 4. What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds and beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, and all that swim the paths of the seas. And then his conclusion, the way he started, O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. The psalmist recognizes the grace of God to stoop and consider him. Think about that. The God who spoke all this into existence, who holds it all together by the word of his power, cares about a little man that he made out of the dust of the ground and not only does he care about us, but he cared about us enough to send his one and only son to be born in a stable, to be lying in a feeding trough, to grow up and 33 years later to die on a wicked cross. And the reason he died on the cross is because man was sinful. We rebelled and rejected God, and God wanted to reconcile us to himself and he was willing to take on himself flesh. You talk about majesty. That he would die a wicked, cruel death on a cross. That I could be forgiven. That you could be forgiven. That we could have a relationship with this God. 
I'm not talking about a relationship with church. I'm not talking about a religion or learning catechism. All those things may be good if it's teaching us about God, but I'm talking about a personal relationship with this living, majestic God that gets me out of the bed in the morning, that I go out into this wicked, cruel world that I have to face and that you have to face, and the only hope that I have is not in the White House or the government. It's in the living God. That's what gets me out of bed in the morning and say, God, I need your help today. God, I need Jehovah Jireh, the God who's going to provide. God, I need Jehovah Rapha, the God who's going to heal my heart. God, I need El Alam, the God who is everlasting, who can meet my needs, who is inexhaustible and unchangeable. That's the majesty of God. He comes to little puny me. Out of seven billion people on the face of the globe, he knows my name. He knows how many hairs are on my head. Even after I get out of the shower, <laughs> there's a few laying there. God knows my name. And he wants a relationship with me, and he wants a relationship with you. And the marvel is to me that some people choose to carry their sin, carry their brokenness, live a defeated, discouraged, lonely life and never get, open their heart to God, the majestic God. If you are here today and you've never opened your heart to the majestic God, this is your invitation. Jesus died for you, that you could have a personal relationship with this God. And he tells us that in his love letter, that we could have a personal relationship with Jesus and know him personally. The God fashioned us with such a great capacity to do things. He crowns us with dignity, value, and infinite worth. I don't understand that. One theologian said it this way, and talking about the world, mass, however great, force, however persistent, can never equal in quality the power of thinking, loving, Worshiping, suffering, and even sinning. One soul outweighs in value myriads of worlds. Our estimate of things must be qualitative as well as quantitative. And a being who can measure the distance of a star is infinitely greater than the star whose distance he measures. If the heavens stood alone and the moon and the stars stood alone, they would stand there in silence. <laughs> and God has given us a voice. He's given us reason. He's given us the ability to offer the praise to him. Oh, I believe the stars and all that give praise to him. But we have an opportunity to verbally express it in a relationship with God. He says, what is man that you are mindful of him, that you remember him, that you are concerned about him? Idiomatically, it means to have a warm heart for or to feel in one's insides for. God feels for us. He is a high priest who is touched with the feelings of my weakness. And I'm glad because there are times I feel really weak. And then I'm reminded, God, you are strong. 
You are powerful. You are almighty. You are majestic. And he crowns us. He says he crowns him with glory and honor. He gives us authority. All authority comes from God. He gives us authority over to rule over the fish of the sea and over the animals. He gives us authority in marriage and in the church and to rule his universe. And we are the workmanship of his hand. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let's stand for a word of prayer. As we stand this morning with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I just want to ask you this morning, how are you doing in understanding this majestic God? He is far greater than we can possibly comprehend. I would encourage you would you take some time this week, maybe just go out in your backyard or wherever you can get away from the lights of the city. Some of you go out to the country all the time because you live there. And look up at the stars and just begin to thank God. He holds them all by the word of his power. Day after day, the Bible says, and night after night, they utter speech. There is no language or voice where they are not heard. The psalmist tells us in Psalm 19. It's a testimony of our majestic God that's there screaming to us every day, I'm here. I'm here. I've got everything under control. I'm the sovereign God of the universe. You say, why is there so much pain then? Why is there so much evil? Why is there so much hurt and heartache? It's called sin. You see, the world is not reconciled to God. And the Bible actually calls Christians pilgrims who are just passing through because this world is not our home. And therefore, it is no friend of grace. The world is no friend of grace. But God is a God of grace. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You could have grown up in a Christian home and still not know the Lord Jesus Christ. You could be in a Christian school and not know the Lord Jesus Christ in a personal way. I am thankful that as a little boy I was taken to a church and I heard the gospel and I understood as a little boy that I was a sinner separated from God and I deserved eternal wrath and eternal judgment from God. But God in his grace, I understood that Jesus went to the cross and paid the penalty of Roy Burkett's sin. He paid the penalty of all your sins as well. That you and I could have a personal relationship with this God and when you feel that tug on the inside, that's the Holy Spirit that brings conviction of sin in our life. You can try to downplay it. You can try to squelch it. But the Holy Spirit is faithful to tug on our heart and say, I want a relationship with you. If that's you this morning, please don't turn your back on God. Listen to him. 
and respond to him. Say, God, I don't understand what all this means, but I want to give my life to you. I'll be here shaking hands at the back door. If you have questions about your eternal destiny, your eternal soul, I'm here to pray with you and share with you from God's word how you can have a personal relationship with this personal God. And I trust that you will come to know this majestic God in a personal way. It is the greatest decision I have ever made in my life. It has guided me throughout my life, in my marriage, with my children. Everything about my life centers around God. Do I do it perfectly? Heavens, no. Some of you know me. (laughs) No. Uh, But we pick up the pieces. God is a forgiving God. And he will take us where we are to where he wants us to be. So I challenge you, if you have a personal spiritual need in your life, would you please talk to myself or somebody else before you leave today? This would be the greatest decision you will ever make in your life. Let's pray. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.